When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I became a rocker in high school when my stepmom, like a lot of kids, my stepmom and I didn't have a great relationship. And I remember getting ready for school one morning back in the MTV days. And I've got the videos just playing in the background while I'm doing my hair and stuff. And this song by Seven Dust, which is a new metal band from Atlanta, comes on and it's called Denial. And <laughs> the dogs have been quiet all day. And of course, they're barking in the middle of <laughs> But so Denial comes on and it just had these lyrics about, I'm trying to remember the specific ones without being distracted by the dogs. Never say what you mean. All I hear is a scream. Never say that to me. Never say that to me. Let's don't stop till we bleed. The more you spit out your mouth, the less I believe. That is definitely something that appeals to a very angry teenager. So I was solidly in my rock, metal, disturbed system of a down listening to all of that. But I think what's really cool about Seven Dust, and here's where we get into the music geekery, is LeJohn, the lead singer of Seven Dust, was an R&B singer first. So he brings this really raspy, soulful voice to a metal band. And it was such an interesting combination of kind of screamy, emotional, but then just this melodic, soulful. I fell in love with it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, though we are getting off the Bruce train. We are getting on to a bombing squad, maybe? (laughs) I have a new guest. Angie Coley is on the podcast. She reached out and said, I'd love to talk music. She named three bands. I knew none of them. Though she does like elements of Fitzgerald, so we have a little bit of something. Angie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And I'm just excited to see where this conversation goes. I always love meeting fellow music nerds. Ah, very nice. Tell us a little about yourself. I am a full-time digital nomad. I am a marketing consultant and business coach. I also have a show called Permission to Kick Ass, where I rant about basically being a leader, becoming a better human a better communicator throughout the course of building your business and i love it wouldn't trade it for anything uh, yeah so one of the things that i've really enjoyed over the past few months angie is and once again pulling back the curtain angie and i are both part of a a group that is a match it's called pod match it's a wonderful mm-hmm. service where you say hey i'm looking for guests and Other people go, oh, I'm looking to be a guest, and you match, and you say, nah, I don't think this is a fit for me, or yes, it is. And one of the things that has made me so happy, Angie, and I think you're going to fall in this category, 
are people like, they're always wanting me to talk about leadership or marketing or coaching. You just want to talk music? Yep. Yes. <laughs> so I want to talk about what I do all the time. I love what I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But sometimes yes. you got to geek out about something else. Absolutely. All right. I always like to start <laughs> beginning. Tell me, where did you grow up and what kind of music was your family listening to? I grew up in South Central Texas, a little bit rural outside of San Antonio, and I think that's where my eclectic music nature came from, because my mom grew up in the 70s. She was big into disco, funk, and soul. I remember one of my very first cassette tapes, yes, I am aging myself, on my little Walkman was the Four Tops and the spinners then i used to listen to that stuff on repeat and then just flip it to the other side and listen again and then just i i knew all of the harmonies and all of the lyrics to all of those songs and my dad was into classic rock that's where i learned about acdc where i learned about van halen yeah it was fantastic cz top <laughs> yes oh i've got such a great story about when i used to have a blues band when i lived in san francisco and i did a cover of tush once okay. upon a time wiped out and accidentally flashed my behind right after singing tush and you can't make that stuff up no you can't it's and no one will believe okay that was planned right that had to be planned you're like no i promise it absolutely uh, was not i was mortified <laughs> i figured growing up in texas fabulous thunderbirds jimmy Ravon, and zz mm -hmm. top absolutely if you were into rock those are pretty good staples oh yeah. yes yeah oh yes uh, the how long, when did you leave Texas? I think right after I turned 18, I was like, get out. I need to go somewhere. And of course, I chose college in rural Missouri, which wasn't much of a change from where I grew up. But since then, I've had the opportunity to travel and live all over the world. I've been to Okinawa. I've been to different places in Europe. And at the end of 2020, I started a road trip of the United States, me and my cat driving around to different places. And since then, my worldview and my musical taste has expanded a lot. So you went from one rural place to another rural place when you went to college, right? Mm -hmm. Did you think you just weren't ready for the big city, as they say down here in Texas? It was. No, I think I was ready to go, but it was a little bit more complicated because by that point, it was my mom, single mom. I was the oldest of three kids. And I always had that wondering spirit. I was up and ready to go, but I felt like she needed me at 18 because I was the eldest of three kids. My little baby brother was about two years old when I went to college. Thankfully for me, my, my tiny grandmother looked at me and said, I have a shotgun, you will go to college. So basically I dragged my feet so long thinking that I was gonna stay home and work and help my mom and help support the family that the only college I got into was in rural Missouri. I didn't aim to go there, but I'm glad I landed there because despite the fact it was in a very rural town called Nevada, it's about two hours south of Kansas City, uh, it's actually got a surprisingly large international student body. Like half of the student body when I went there was from all over the world and it was incredible. What'd you major in? That one was a two-year school at the time, although they've expanded since then. So that was just general fine arts. When I transferred to my bachelor's degree, I got it. Don't ask me why I did this. It made sense at the time to 22 year old Angie, but I majored in French and political science. I thought I had a, a future speaking French in South Texas. <laughs> You're angling for you to be the French ambassador, right? Mm -hmm. 
I totally thought I was going to be involved in politics until I went to Model United Nations in 2005 and realized I hate politics. I really do. I'm an honest person and I don't the the negotiating and the maneuvering that you have to do around people. And I would rather just say, you know what? I don't really like you, but let's work together. That doesn't really work very in that kind of field. Did when did your you mentioned your music taste changing as you were traveling the world with you and your wonderful companion cat? But how about in college? Did your did your musical taste start expanding? Mostly stuck with rock and classic rock. Although here's the thing in middle school, I became a clarinet player because you got to be a band nerd, right? If you're a music sure. nerd. And I graduated to being queen of the band nerds. I'm a former drum major. When I got to college, I was in the woodwind ensemble. So we're playing classical music. And then all of the saxophone players graduated at the same time out of the jazz club. And so one day, the director of the Woodwind Ensemble also directed the jazz club. He came up to all of us clarinet players and said, hey, so you play the saxophone now. The fingering is exactly the same. It's just a bigger instrument. Go to it. And that's how I got more into jazz. And you mentioned at the beginning, Ella Fitzgerald. She is the, the one that gave me the courage to go out for the bands because I always imagined I was going to mess up the note. I'm going to blow a note. I'm going to forget the lyrics. I'm going to make a fool of myself, like falling on stage and, and flashing my butt at people. Um, but I heard one day she did a live version of Mac the Knife. And if you find that version, you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on YouTube. She basically says during the second verse, like, and Ella forgot the words and just riffs an entire made up verse. And then I just went, oh, you can just make it up. No matter how big a star you are, you are not making a fool of yourself if you don't stop and call attention to it. That was a little bit of a side rant, but there you go. <laughs> so I'm a, there's not a lot of things about Dr. Phil that I take to heart and I've heard things about him. And then a lot of the stuff during COVID, you just came across poorly. But every mm -hmm. once in a while, he says something that makes a lot of sense. And he talked about there are key people and key experiences in your life that make a chance. And I have some of those that at any given time, I will go back to that story and tell that it changed my life in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Was hearing Ella do that? that one of those moments yeah i think it it broke something not in a bad way but just broke this damn this fear that i had that i was allowing myself to be held back because of this image of perfection that i can't put myself out there and i can't be a performer until i've gotten it exactly right which of course with my adhd self i don't have the patience to practice something over and over again for hours until i get it exactly right prefer to wing it anyway. So I don't know how I had this like dividing, I guess you don't really know yourself until you get older, but I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to not practice and somehow get it perfect. And if I don't practice and I don't get it perfect, then I'm just never going to do the thing that makes me happy. Makes sense. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. One of the things that my wife shared with me early in our career, our marriage and dating is that in high school she was the type of the person that if unless she knew she was going to be good at it she wouldn't try Mm -hmm. like she would not try out for the pep squad unless she knew she was going to get it yeah i know a lot of people like that yeah and i i often would don't get me wrong i don't like failure but Mm -hmm. i often am I do feel often, and when people ask me advice, Angie, about podcasting, I go, first, make sure your topic is something that's broad enough. Mm -hmm. You don't want to run out of material after four or five episodes. Two, make sure it's something you enjoy talking about, that you will do it even if no one listens. Mm -hmm. And then have fun and just do it. Don't wait because you know what? The first episode is going to be crappy. Oh yeah. And my first, go ahead. My first episode is like 14 minutes long and it's not 14 minutes long because we didn't have anything to say. I think the final like recorded segment was probably closer to 25, 28 minutes, yeah. but literally everything went wrong during that first recording. And I knew myself that if I tried to reschedule this appointment and do a do-over that I would drag my feet and I would put this off indefinitely. So my guest and I, we just agreed. I'm going to send it over to the editor. He's going to work his magic. And sure enough, that is a tight 14 minutes. You cannot tell that the power went out, that the window is open, that there's a thunderstorm moving through the neighborhood, that there are jets flying overhead, that there's an electrician ringing the doorbell that my cat wants in the room, then my cat wants out of the room, then the boyfriend's knocking up. Like, all of that happened in my first 
my very first episode. Yeah. Did, where did you get your degree? I got, I have three degrees, technically speaking. Ah, so I have an associate's degree. It's uh, just a general fine arts study. I have the bachelor's degree, which is French with a poli-sci minor. And then I went back to school a few years later. It's like my mid-20s, and I got a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon. It's in entertainment industry management, and it is a very interesting hybrid creative business degree. I liked their pitch when they were talking about who's right for this program. They said for too long, there's been a divide in Hollywood, which we see right now as we're recording with all of the strikes going on, between the people who say it's called show business, not show art, and the yeah. people who say, without the art, you don't have a business. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's why you went there mm -hmm. and decided they were trying to pursue to, that? They were trying to create a new class of like executive producers, creators, managers that got both sides of the fence. That like we have the art to support the business and the business helps prop up the art and make the art even better. It's a symbiotic relationship. Not one side is more important than the other. And once you got this, what did you decide to do with it? Or did you change your mind and I'm going to do something else? I wanted to be in TV developments. And I thought I had a lot of temp jobs. I worked at the CW. I worked at NBC Universal, CBS Films. I landed the Oprah Winfrey Network right before it launched. Yeah, the Oprah Winfrey Network didn't always exist. It started in 2011 and I got laid off right before the network launched. And I didn't even get invited to the launch party, but one of my friends snuck me in anyway, because okay. that's how I roll. And I couldn't find work after that. I just really struggled. The industry tightened, the jobs were hard to get. And so I left LA. And I happened to read a book at that time that was about marketing writing, specifically copywriting. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Mad Men. And I thought, I could do that. And then I started on this 13-year career where I have been a copywriter all this time until I left that field recently to become a business coach. Wow. So talk to me your soundtrack during this journey. Ooh. What kind of music are you listening to? Ooh, that's a lot. Oh, there was a lot of shifting stuff. I became a rocker in high school when my stepmom, like a lot of kids, my stepmom and I didn't have a great relationship. And I remember getting ready for school one morning back in the MTV days. And I've got the videos just playing in the background while I'm doing my hair and stuff. And this song by Seven Dust, which is a new metal band from Atlanta, comes on and it's called Denial. And... I'm sorry, the dogs have been quiet all day. And of course they're barking in the middle of, <laughs> but so denial comes on and it just had these lyrics about, I'm trying to remember the specific ones without being distracted by the dogs. Never say what you mean. All I hear is a scream. Never say that to me. Never say that to me. Let's don't stop till we bleed. The more you spit out your mouth, the less I believe. That is definitely something that appeals to a very angry teenager. So I was solidly in my rock metal, disturbed system of a down, listening to all of that. But I think what's really cool about Seven Dust, and here's where we get into the music geekery, is Lejean, the lead singer of Seven Dust, was an R&B singer first. So he brings this really raspy, soulful voice to a metal band. And it was such an interesting combination of kind of screamy, emotional, but then just this melodic, soulful. I fell in love with it. Can you articulate a little bit further why it spoke to you so much? You mentioned the complexity of, like, 
in high school, I, like many kids, and by the way, I'll date myself, my first A-track I bought with my own money was Elton John Greatest Hits. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to Kiss Alive and Kiss Destroyer, always had a secret place for AM radio, but when I first heard the Beach Boys on 8-track, I had never heard anything like that. I'd never Mm. heard such complex harmonies. Mm. Can you articulate, is it his voice with the complex, harsh metal chords, or what about their music spoke to you, Angie? It was that it was so complex and I had never heard anything before. I've, I think we've all probably heard, misheard this lyric, but Kiss's song structure is pretty simple and it's very repetitive, right? But it's a banger. It's a hell of a lot of fun. I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. I used to say part of every day because that's much more my stuff. Yes. But Seven Dust had these just like driving guitars and these super energetic drums and the drummer morgan rose also like yells he screams accents so a lot of that song denial and the way that it appealed to me especially with the words is that the the verses are chanting and he's like almost getting very aggressive about it never say that to me never say that to me while morgan is screaming in the background then you get to the chorus and there is all of this harmony and all of a sudden all of this chaos that was happening during the verses seems to smooth out into the melody and the harmonies that came out they don't harmonize throughout the entire chorus just on the final accent line and i was like and it's a discordant harmony it just gave me chills i'm one of those i get chills when i listen Mm -hmm. to really good music and that's what stuck out to me just like it resolved from chaos into this beautiful smoothness and then just a little bit of discordance it was tasty when I always like to preface this, the amount of times you've seen your favorite band perform live is not a good barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that have never seen their favorite band. And then there's people like Bruce. If you went to college in the late 70s in the East Coast, you probably saw him more times than you can count. But have you been able to see him live? I have been. And they're part of the reason that I joke that I've got tinnitus now. Too much time in my 20s spent in front of giant speaker cabinets without adequate hearing protection. I used to leave those concerts and I would be on the front barricade right up there with them in the mix. And I could feel my chest bones vibrating when I left the concert after the music is over. But yeah, I've seen them in the first show was in San Diego sometime in the early aughts. I have seen them in San Francisco, in Jacksonville, Florida, in Orlando, in Mountain View, California, Corpus Christi, Texas, Houston, Texas, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That was an interesting show. I got kicked in the head in that one. You got to tell me that story. (laughs) There's a a crowd surfer was going overhead and they dropped him almost as he was getting to the barricade and he kicked me in the head. So it was totally unintentional, right? And I don't hold any ill will. But the way he hit me, I went down hard and thankfully my arm was hooked over the barricade and they saw me go down and stopped the show. So I got kicked in the head. I fall down. My arm is hanging over the barricade and he goes, stop, hold up. Everybody get get her up. Is she okay? And then later on after the show, I was feeling a little bit dizzy. I was standing out in front close to the tour buses, like the way that particular venue was set up. The buses were parked really close to the front. And I was just leaning over the railing, getting some fresh air, waiting for my friends to come pick me up. I went to that show by myself, too. And he comes out and he was like, hey, oh, are you OK? You're the one that got hit in the head. And I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, that's cool. You not only stopped the show for me, you checked on me afterward. What a cool guy. 
Is that the only time you've met them? No, I met them in Mountain View. I've got pictures with LaJohn and Morgan. They were super sweet. And then when I drove to Baton Rouge, I drove seven hours by myself to see them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, from the Houston area, and stayed late and did shots with a couple of members of the bands before they took off. So yeah, I've met them a couple times. They probably don't remember me. They've got thousands and thousands of fans sure. in a 25 plus year career, but yeah, it meant a lot to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And you got to send me that photo. That'd be a great photo yeah. to go when I put out the podcast. The So any other stories besides getting in the head and doing shots with a band that you want to share? Ooh. No, I think that's pretty much it. I... Oh, no, there was a good one in L.A. at the House of Blues because it's there are a lot of metal fans out there that I think that if you deviate from the metal, they tend to rebel a a little bit like they just want hard and heavy all the time. And that's why I loved in I think it was like 2013 or 2014. They actually came out with an all acoustic album that was freaking gorgeous. And so I drove to L.A. from the San Francisco Bay Area to go to this concert with my then boyfriend and just remember crying throughout this entire show. And they have this one song that they did, which is a a super beautiful ballad dedicated to the lead singer of a band that passed away years and years back. It's called Angel Sun. And they tend to get emotional because they were very close with that singer. The band was called Snot. And that one during the acoustic set, At one point, LJ got so choked up that he stopped singing and the entire crowd just kept singing and the whole band stopped and was serenaded by the audience. And I think there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I'm getting goosebumps just telling that story. Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) So do you, any familiarity with Bruce at all? Yeah. Okay. I know most of the popular songs. I will say that. So I don't know if you know this story. But it is tradition that when he dugs Hungry Heart, the audience sings the first verse. And what happened is almost your story, except not for emotion. He was singing and he forgot the damn lyrics. Mm. This was before everyone has teleprompters now, right? Especially if you're in your 70s, you have a teleprompter. (laughs) And and so the audience sang it. And so since then, that's become a tradition. When Love he it. does Hungry Heart, they'll and and he'll you sound good. Come on. When doing them. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess growing up, a uh, heavy metal fan, any Bruce stories to share? Not off the top of my head. I listen to the the classics that we all hear repeating. Sure. All the yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know that I really liked. What is, what is his name? Stephen Van Zant is part of that band, right? Yes, he is. Yes. So I've here's always my... loved the bandana and the style with that yes. guy. Just attitude. So here's <laughs> here is one of my favorite Stephen Van Zant stories. The I will look this up. A guy who was one of the executive producers of my wife and kids mm-hmm. with Damon Wayne, right? Yeah. The guy was the executive producer, and I'll look up his name, was really good friends with Clarence Clemens. Mm-hmm. 
And so Clarence had asked them to go to a show. Yeah. And so this guy brought Damon, who had never been to a birth show. Mm -hmm. And they're at before, and little Steven walks in. And hi, good to meet you. And he recognized the friend. And as he left, Damon goes, that's Silvio from The Sopranos. Yep. <laughs> Why is he here? He's in the band. And Damon Wayans, supposedly, damn, Bruce must be a huge Sopranos fan to hire him. <laughs> so when they tell that story to Bruce, Bruce laughed. He says, yeah, that's me. I'm flipping the channel and go, hey, that guy looks good. I should put him in my band. Yeah, he's probably decent. Yeah. yeah just no, I remember that when I saw him in The Sopranos, I was like, he looks so familiar. And I'm one of those people that immediately I have the phone out. I'm on IMDb. Where have I seen that face before? I need to know everything about all of these actors and everything they've right. ever been in. That's just how I operate. Yeah. And when I was like, that is Steven Van Zant in The Sopranos, I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah, that's excited. Uh, have you ever <laughs> seen Bruce live? I haven't. No, that would be amazing. Have you? Yes, I've got two more coming up this tour. In a couple weeks, I go to Columbus. And then on November 30th, I'm going to Arizona. And that will make 21. Nice! Yeah, so yeah, that's important, breaking the 20 round. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you get a chance, this tour is pretty cool. It's been a lot. So you mentioned, though, you have other favorite musicians. Share me a little bit, Angie. Oh, Fitzgerald, for sure. She's just so versatile in the voice. And I had never heard anybody who could just riff and gliss like that and change it up. And you think that she's going one direction and she completely switches it up on you. And when I heard her duet with Louis Armstrong for the first time, talk about that soulful smoothness that she's got, that raspy kick and that attitude that he's got. It was just perfect. Oh, goodness. Who else? Bonnie Raitt, love her, adore her. There was also, there was this very sassy lady who's not quite as well known, but I studied her a lot when I had my blues band. Her name is Candy Cane. She's unfortunately since passed, but we were going to cover one of her songs called I'm the Reason Why You Drink. And it's funny because it's not what you think it would be from the title. The Uh whole reason that she is the reason why you drink is that every time you turn around, she tops off your drink. So that you're constantly getting drunk. (laughs) That's funny. One of my favorite musicians was, she was from Lake Charles, Miss Molly and the Passions. A blue Janis Joplin type voice and had that really a wonderful blues inversion. Had a, had a bullwhip on stage and she, she was often a lot of fun. Do. Oh, and hearts. We can't yes. forget Ann Wilson. I have said, if anybody ever compares me to Ann Wilson, I will die of That's, a heart attack and be very happy. That would be great. Yes. Bonnie Raitt, by the way, had Bruce open for her many times in the early. And he always talks about she's one of his other favorite redheads since Patty is redhead. <laughs> yeah. um, that, and then my other podcast is perfectly good podcast where we're doing every John Hyatt song. In alphabetical order and john hyatt is a musician who wrote are you ready for this thing called love by bonnie wright her big hit yes. and he wrote that song as he said bonnie sent all three of my kids to college with that song <laughs> the other song you might know of him is the have a little faith in me 
that oh, is that's such a good one. Yeah, he wrote that song. And as oh, he said, fantastic. he would be, yes, if I had so much money, every time someone had that played at a wedding, I would be a much richer man, as he talked about. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about when did you decide to become a musician yourself? Now, you're, you've, mm. you've been clarinet and saxophone, and so you've gone through the entertainment industry, and you've learned into coaching, but at what point in this did you decide you wanted to scratch your creativity bone and perform? I think I was always a musician, even as a little girl riding along in the car, listening to that spinners or the four tops. I'm trying to pick apart the harmonies. I'm trying to see if I can match tone with them. I was always really good at at matching by ear and mimicking, which unfortunately meant that I never really learned technique. I was just naturally adept at hitting those notes. So I, I think it was 2006 or 2007. It was within a year of getting my bachelor's degree. I was just like, you know what? Stop making excuses. If you're going to get out there and sing, just go try it. It's not really a whole lot of difference from karaoke. Spoiler alert, it's different from karaoke, but it's a lot of fun. And so I went and I found a couple of different bands. They were blues bands. And I think that was just incidental. I didn't go out like looking for a blues band, but I was looking for bands that I could audition in. And I faced a lot of discrimination. It's interesting because I didn't even think about that beforehand. Now that I'm remembering what my audition process was like. I have a a deep voice. I would say I'm probably like mezzo and alto and I can get low. I can get okay. like Mariah Carey, Adele low, but I can also get pretty high. And so I would talk to bands about covering everything from like Eddie Vedder to like a Bonnie Raitt or something like that. And I would get a lot of people going, girls can't sing that. I'm like, can you, could you just have me at the audition? Can I just prove it to you? I have literally done Hunger Strike as Eddie Vedder as a duet at karaoke and had people go, what? How did she get that low? I finally, through all of that, the fits and starts, I got discouraged and almost quit a couple of times, but I found this blues band. I auditioned for them. They gave me a four song live audition in front of an audience. And I forgot the words to two of the songs, the very first two songs. Thankfully for me, the guitarist was also a singer and was good at harmonies. And so when I froze, my worst nightmare come true, I forgot the lyrics in front of a live audience. He just got up on the mic and gave me the side eye and started singing, which immediately jogged my memory. And then I jumped in on a harmony like I meant to do that all along. And it was great. And I did that again for the second song and it was great. But then the third and fourth song went awesome and people were loving how we interacted. So I got the gig. Mm-hmm. How <laughs> Despite long did messing you, up. How long did you perform? I was with that particular band's, oh goodness, until I was there for about a little under a year. And then I went to grad school, which required me to move to, to Pittsburgh and then later to LA. And so it would be several years again when I got to, let's see, I got to the Bay Area in 2012. So 2013 is when I joined the blues band that I had up there called the Red House Vandals. And are you performing now? No, that's the unfortunate side of traveling a lot. There's not really, when I first started traveling, it was the COVID shutdowns. So there wasn't really any live music or karaoke going on. Now it's just been finding a break in the work and finding a place that's got a good music scene to go down there and start getting familiar with people while also maintaining a travel schedule. It's been really challenging. Where is home now? Um, still on the road. Technically I am visiting, I am house sitting for a friend in spring, Texas, as I'm recording this in very not 
spring-like weather. <laughs> yes. September. Considering I'm in Dallas, Texas, I know what you're saying. Oh, nice. I'm going to be in Fort Worth in a couple of weeks. Okay, good. Reach out. We'll see if we can. Yeah. Do, let's talk about, you've done copywriting and what motivated you to change and go into coaching? I think it was a little bit of the perfect storm. Everything changed for everybody during the pandemic, right? But I, I worked in, I was online business before the shutdowns forced a lot of businesses to go online. I've worked remote since 2017 and the People that I worked with are super smart. They're ahead of trends by years. And when the pandemic shutdowns happened, he immediately, and I ran his marketing team, had a whole team of writers, and he leaned into it hard. And he said, we're about to have just a whole bunch of people that are stuck at home. They're going to get tired of Netflix. They're going to get tired of baking. And we're in the business of teaching people how to build businesses. So we're just going to lean into it hard and let and help people create businesses. So we had 14 straight weeks once the shutdown started of just hardcore training, marketing, live events. I'm so sorry. I don't know what they're doing that they're over there fighting. Uh hopefully the mic is is muting that out a little bit. And at the end of that, it's like we got to that was about March to June. We finally had some breathing room. We took two weeks off to just get our feet back underneath us and rest a little bit. And I was done. I just knew I was done. I couldn't write more emails. I couldn't promote more stuff. Like I just didn't want to do it anymore. I loved the company. I loved the mission. I loved all the people that I worked with, but I was just done. And during that time, I had been invited to be a guest coach for other people's training programs and just loved that. I loved helping people figure out a problem how to deal with a tough client issue, how to create another offer, just that kind of problem solving stuff to where with the remainder of the time off that I had, I took a podcasting workshop from Seth Godin, which is sadly no longer available, but I loved that one. And that was where the the seeds for permission to kick ass came up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to write the book. I'm going to start a coaching business. I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to see where this takes me. And it's been just under three years since I finally left them. And Bless them. When I turned in my notice in October, they kept extending me a month at a time with different projects, trying to keep me on board. And I was scared to leave too, but ultimately said, Hey, I can't keep doing this guys. I got to go. I got to go commit and be all in. And we still have a good relationship. So that's nice. What? Talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. So tell me what you're doing. Okay. That was... If anything, I think it's the show I wish I had when I first started my business. I first tried to freelance back in 20, 2010, 2011, when I got let go from the Oprah Winfrey Network. And I didn't know anything about copywriting or marketing beyond my college classes, right? My university classes. I didn't right. know anything about running a business. It's one thing to study it and another thing entirely to apply that in a practical context. So my first attempt at freelancing was a miserable, abject failure. And I just was stubborn and refused to give up. I leveraged all of the disparate writing experience I had from waiting tables to math tutoring to every little bit of writing I could find. I said, this is why I'm a writer. I got hired as a junior copywriter, worked my way up. And a few years into that journey where I had just made a career out of nothing, I found a community of copywriters and joined it and promptly said nothing because 
there are smart people and they're saying things and I don't have anything to say. Like I'm not formally trained. I don't have the successes that they do. Unfortunately for me, the community was really small at the time and he noticed. He noticed that there was a new member that came in and said nothing for four months. So he prodded me, his name is Kevin, and asked, hey, could I, do you, would you mind hopping on the phone real quick? I'd love to get to know you and ask some questions. And of course, one of the questions he asked very lovingly and very caringly was, so why don't you ever say anything? He got to know me. He knew I was a corporate copywriter. By that point, I was on my way to being promoted to senior copywriter and starting to train newer writers. So I knew a little bit more. And I told him that fear. They're, they know more than me. They're cooler than me. What could I possibly add to this conversation that hasn't already been said by people way smarter than me? And he goes, I feel like you're waiting for permission. You don't actually need permission to be an expert to do anything that you want to do really but just in case that's what's holding you back i'm just going to go ahead and anoint you expert enough angie coley you can go help people right now as you are knowing exactly what you know there you go and the closer i worked with him i became a coach for his program eventually i just started to take that message with me everywhere to my coaching students just in case you're waiting for permission i'm giving it to you now cool you could have given it to yourself all along but in case you're waiting you have it Go ahead, go. And that became the book in the show. So Angie, and we won't talk too much about this because <laughs> we are talking music, but I do want, why do you think people won't give themselves permission to do that? We talked, we think... started, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We started, no, go I'm going to do one of those really long questions that are irritating, but no, we started <laughs> this podcast. One of the things we talked about is that Ella making a mistake shared with you that I don't have to be perfect to perform. Mm -hmm. And then another key moment in your life is this mentor saying you, you don't have to have, you don't have to have anyone's permission, but if you need it, you are valuable. You have something to say. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid to say it. Yep which I think is fascinating that those two key things happen. Why do you think some people need that permission? It's all speculation. I know from yeah, my sure. personal experience, I mentioned that I grew up in rural South Texas and a friend of mine who is from South Carolina, rest in peace, she died last year. We used to joke that it was Southern woman syndrome. I've been told all my life, you're too much, you're not enough be quieter, be prettier, be all of these things, be put in your place, don't shine too loud. And you internalize that after a while, especially if it's been told to you by parental figures, by leaders in the community. If you go out and you have a little bit too much fun telling a story and you laugh too loud. And I remember sometimes my mom would say, oh my gosh, you are so loud. So I just started to shrink in on myself and be professional people wanted me to be and it's in music is actually what brought me out of my shell i didn't even think to tell this story when i was looking through your questionnaire a couple years into my membership in that community after i had met kevin i went to a live event in austin and i'm at the bar and i'm buttoned down my hair's back can't really see it now but it's actually like super bright red sometimes i have my piercing in. definitely the okay. tattoos are visible i had it all covered up and had a drink or two and somehow we wound up on the story of mosh pit 
experiences. And I told them about a couple of fights I'd been at at some bigger shows. And I remember watching my colleagues lean in and go, who is this? Like, that is fascinating. We didn't even know you before because I was hiding. And so that Ella experience, that experience with my mentor, Kevin, that sharing the story about getting in a, a mosh pit fight, which I totally won, by the way, no helped doubt. me to see. Yes. Don't sucker punch a girl in the face and try to steal her drumstick, dude. That's it's right. A good way to... uh, that, that taught me there wasn't anything to hide. One of the things that my wife hates that I share, but I think it's interesting, is when I first started, was going to do a podcast, she said, and why would anyone want to listen to you, right? Oh, that's that kind of loving doubt that yeah. I'm just like, it breaks my heart. Yeah. And so I said, and I finally explained it to her that, you know how your brother played music in high school? Mm -hmm. And he said recently, this is 10, 15 years ago, but if he had anything he's choice, he would meet with all his buddies in a barn every Sunday and would play music with no one listening, but they would just play. Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah, I remember him telling that story. I said, okay, that's podcasting to me. Yeah. This is just, I'm talking about something I love. And if someone wants to listen, great. If they don't, that's fine. Now, mm -hmm. since then, she has been very supportive. I want to stress, I always stress that she is an amazing and she's so proud of me podcasting, mm -hmm. but it is that, and Angie, I work on this all the time mm -hmm. when I reach out to people, well, I don't have anything to say, Jesse. Yes, oh. you do. Yes, you do. It's stuff like, that you think is boring about you that isn't interesting at all is the stuff that other people find fascinating. Yes. You are just looking in a warped mirror, a distorted mirror, because it's your everyday life and it doesn't feel special to you because it's your everyday. I didn't anticipate that rant, but there we go. No, it's true, right? And so I remember talking to someone, I don't, I'm boring, and I wanted to go, you flew to New Zealand to see Bruce perform and attend multiple shows. Mm -hmm. You may think that's just average because she did travel a lot, yeah. but just the story of you going to New Zealand alone will give me 20 minutes of a podcast, right? And so I get people that say, because I have been lucky, I have had people that Bruce has helped them fight cancer and music has mm -hmm. helped them get over divorces and losses of family members and help them find their love of their life. But you know what? Having someone just talk about, I heard Ellen Fitzgerald screw up and I went, you know what? If she can, I can. I mm -hmm. Is a powerful, wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. And you need people around you that, and I no shade to, to the wife. She came around, right? And sometimes you yes. have to believe first so that other people right. can believe too. Exactly. It's, yes. it's not that she's trying to tear, and I've had this in my family too. It's not that she's trying to tear you down or stop you. It's she's got her own fears and is projecting yeah. that stuff, right? Exactly. And yeah. doesn't want to see you hurt. But you need people around you that are doing what you want to do, 
can show you what's possible and that can reflect your potential and your awesomeness back at you because otherwise you're just looking in that warped mirror going there's nothing special about me i promise that like okay to get a little bit corny do you know how many thousands and thousands of things had to line up just so for us to exist right here in this moment having this conversation it's a miracle you are a miracle wow ranting it's absolutely true angie the think of and I, I just had a couple of people on the podcast and Brian and Mark have ended up becoming wonderful friends. Mark oh. is from the UK. Brian is from Ireland. Yeah. Mark went to New York for his birthday when Bruce was on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Brian was in New York because his daughters were running a marathon. And they said, what do you want to do, dad? And he goes, I'm just here for, to support y'all. But you know what? We hear that Bruce, before the before his show, if you get there early enough, he sometimes sign autographs. So you're going to go and spend the afternoon and maybe you'll get Bruce's autograph because mm -hmm. he didn't have tickets for the show. And so it just so happens that Mark and Brian were on the same side of the aisle of Bruce. Mm hmm. They struck a conversation. Bruce did shake Mark's hand because of his birthday. He signed Brian's album. And they now have become best friends. And mm. they, like when Bruce was playing in Ireland, Brian's, okay, Mark, you and Kathleen, our house is open. Oh, no, we'll stay in a hotel. No, you're staying at our house. And we talked about it just because they happened to be, to pick the right side, because Mark could have just as easily picked the other side. Mm -hmm. And they could have talked, not talked to each other. Yeah. There's magic wow. in the world, right? Have a little mm -hmm. faith. There's magic in the night, as Bruce says yes. in Thunder Road. And just, I I love your theory. I love your podcast. I Thank love you. that idea. <laughs> yeah, that is. It just, do it. This has been so much fun. I can't wait to check out a couple of the podcast episodes. You're welcome anytime. Oh, thank uh, you. Uh, before we get you out of here, though, any final thoughts? This has been an unexpected blast. This is exactly what we're talking about, where I, I looked at the show, the connection that we had on Podmatch and went, I'm not as big a fan of Bruce as I could be. I know the standards, like I mentioned at the beginning, but I, my fandom doesn't go super deep. I think this would be interesting to find out a little bit more about what you think about Bruce, to share some of my musical experiences and just see where it could go. So if I had any parting words of wisdom, it's it would be most of the time it's not that serious. Just try something and see where it'll go. And you could have a wonderful, magical conversation like we just had. Thank you. That makes me smile. I end every podcast with a Mary question. Mm. Jay Armstrong is a retired honors English teacher, but when he was teaching, he would give the song Thunder Road the lyrics to his high school seniors. They would mm. read the lyrics. They would talk about the different illusions and imagery that Bruce portrayed. And then he would ask his students at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? Angie, that mm. was your homework. Does mm -hmm. Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I think she does. And I know that's probably colored by my own experience and the way that I would interpret that. But it just very much felt like there's not much left for me here on to the next adventure, a call to adventure, so to speak. 
And so nothing's going to happen if you just sit on the track and wait for the train to run you over. Travel it a while, see what happens. That is an excellent answer. If someone <laughs> wants to reach you, how can they? can find me. You can go to my site, which is permissiontokickass.com. Sign up for emails. I let you know what's going on there when I'm traveling, when I've got new podcast episodes. I'm on all kinds of social media as either at Angie Coley or at Permission to Kick Ass. And yeah, would love to have you subscribe to the show and reach out. Send me a message. Obviously, I love to talk to people about all kinds of different things. Start a combo. Absolutely. Angie, this was a blast. Thank you so much for your time, your energy. And yes, I, I just write permission to kick ass. Just do it. Just do it. I love that story. Listeners, go check out the website. Go subscribe, sign up for the newsletter, uh, sample a couple episodes. Uh, please let her know what you think for now. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, listeners. Be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessig Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.